Okay, that's good. Let's let's get the show on the road here. Good evening, everybody. This is George N2APB, along with co-host uh, Joe N2CX. And uh, I see that Bruce is here. Maybe he'll be able to join in as well, N1RX. And together we are your hosts for the evening. Uh, this is Chat with the Designers for January 24th. And this evening we're going to be discussing Grounding 101. Well, what that means is basics of grounding, your station, your feed line, your antenna, things you always knew you should be doing but maybe are not, some old wives' tales uh, uh, debunked, maybe some best recommendations from experts in our field in the literature or maybe even present here, and uh, hopefully we'll get a little bit of chance to discuss the techniques that are being used and their benefits and some of the drawbacks maybe what some of the problems that come about from not having a well-grounded system. Everybody wants to be well-grounded, right? Um, and, and basically, there are two main reasons for grounding. Two main reasons for grounding. One, and first, first and foremost, is safety. We want to be absolutely certain that we don't zap ourselves in a lethal manner, or anything less than lethal, um, while operating. And that's... Uh, either due to lightning or through mishap on the bench. And number two, we want to make sure that our signals are getting out. We're not radiating into the ground system or uh, inadvertently losing all of our signal into the ground. And uh, we're going to touch base on all of these uh, points as we go as we go through here. So um, I'm going to uh, toss it over to Joe for just a quick intro before I kind of point to our webpage and some of the outline that we've created. But Joe, do you want to have any opening comments here and as we uh, start Grounding 101? Maybe talk a little bit about the mysteries of it. The mysteries of grounding, certainly. Be glad to... Uh, hello, everyone. Welcome to the group this evening. Yeah, grounding is... Uh, well, it's almost like antennas. It's one of those topics with hams where... Um, a lot of people have a lot of ideas about what's appropriate and what's not, and uh, everybody's got their own uh, their own theories. Uh, there are some proper ways to go about it. We're going to try to give you uh, some hints tonight. I'd present some uh, stuff, some references on the web, and talk to that about uh, the importance of it. Um, a lot of it has to do really with um, um, proper grounding. Has to do with uh, Keeping RF where it belongs. You really don't want the RF in the shack. You don't want lightning in the shack. Um, so most of the appropriate means um, of, of grounding have to do with keeping those things out of the shack. Similarly, uh, uh, bonding in the shack, uh, establishing uh, good bonding techniques, good uh, means of interconnecting your equipment and such, uh, keeps noise where it should be. Keeps noise from uh, causing you problems within the shack. Be it noise generated by uh, your computer, um, some other equipment you might have in the shack, or if there is, uh, those happen to be some some RF uh, get into your shack from uh, having an antenna that uh, is a little too close to uh, to your operating position. Some of us are in that uh, that circumstance, and there's nothing we can do about it. So we're going to talk about uh, those topics in general, and uh, I think I'll throw it back to George to uh, continue. Go ahead, George. 
Oh, thank you, Joe. Sorry for the pause there. I just wanted to get that note into the text area. So if you see that, uh, you see that link that I posted, please go to it. We're going to be discussing things on this on this page here today, and um, we kind of broke up the the discussion into maybe three or four categories. Um, one is uh, the station and things that we do at our station, to our station, with respect to grounding, and some of the techniques there. Number two is the, the feed line. Some special attention really ought to be paid to the feed line that we've got going out from the station to the antenna, whether it's a coax or ladder line, open wire of some sort, balanced feeder, uh, single wire, whatever. And then the third one is... Uh, oh, of course, it's the antenna itself. And then uh, things that hold up the antenna, like the tower and grounding at the base of the antenna, based on what kind of an antenna that you have. Um, very, very important elements of your station, of course, and each one needs to have some attention with respect to uh, the ground for protection, again, first and foremost, as well as for making sure that we radiate the signal that we, we think we're going to, uh, that we want to be radiating. The um, fourth section that is that's kind of important uh, is bulleted there on the sheet is lightning protection. Um, that's, uh, I think, something that all of us experience. Some, based on where you live, might experience it more than others. We have a reference section <clears throat> below that with... Um, a number of good links. There are two extraordinarily good links, at least in my opinion. I'm just a lay person here. I'm not, uh, I'm not a scientist on grounding or anything, but uh, there are two that I found really, really, um, really good. One was Grounding in RF Environments by William Chesney, N8SA. It's just a short paper, maybe four or five pages if you print it out. And he doesn't, uh, he's not a man for uh, mincing words or making special paragraphs and bullets. Kind of puts it all there just in one long section. But if you read through it and parse through it in your mind, you'll, you'll see some really good pearls of wisdom there. And uh, it would be a really good read to do that one. Another, the other really good site, um, now I've forgotten the, the call sign, N-A-J-I, what was it, Joe? W-A-J-I. Uh, there it is, W-A-J-I. You'll see that as, um, um, actually, it, oh, did I forget that? Oh, no, I might not, oh, I did. Okay, so um, at the, toward the bottom of the page, I have pictures, pics from um, a good W-A-J-I website, and I show the link there. Definitely, definitely go to that. Go to that website at some point um, and uh, uh, read through his stuff. I extracted a couple of uh, photos properly attributed to, um, to him that illustrate some techniques. And Joe and I were musing beforehand as far as, you know, he probably goes overboard. But on one hand, as, as either uh, him or, uh, as either he or Chesney point out, it's almost hard not to go overboard when talking about grounding with respect to the protection that is offered. How valuable is your life? 
is, is kind of a question that comes to mind. And I know when I look here around in my shack and my ground and situation, I am far, far from ideal. And uh, a wing and a prayer, especially during some of the storms that come along here in Maryland, is usually my, uh, my mantra. So uh, I'm, I'm personally making a commitment to myself. I do this about every year, come January. But uh, I make it a commitment, a renewed commitment, to put in a good grounding system. And I know that I'm going to be asking some questions here, or at least putting some questions onto the table, and maybe have some uh, discussion about them, about the techniques, and what might be effective and what not. So, uh, Joe, why don't, why don't we start at the... Uh, um, at the bench. What what grounding techniques have you found that are useful there on the bench, um, whether it's tying equipment to a common bus bar, and then where do you go with that bus bar? Okay, yeah, that's a good place to start. Um, <laughs> I have to speak kind of from uh, past experience. At the moment, I'm not uh, all that well set up, but... Uh, uh, it is, in fact, I'll, I'll just say, my current station is whatever piece of equipment I have to throw on the desk at the moment, and uh, I don't have a, a great ground. However, in the uh, in the the um, technical uh, room, my my little room I have set up as a lab, I'm a little bit better. Main idea is that uh, uh, at least within inside the uh, building. Uh, inside the room, you want to establish a, uh, a ground plane of some sort, a ground counterpoise to which you connect all of your equipment. Um, and it should be connected with uh, short wires or, uh, or some sort of uh, a copper strap. You want a low resistance, low inductance connection. Um, the best way to start is to have a strap of some sort, um, ideally several inches thick, uh, several inches wide uh, needn't be all that thick but uh, should be a good conductor copper is the best and uh, you, your equipment chassis should all be connected via short leads to that that's the beginning and then uh, from there um, if you if you uh, want to uh, really assure things are good should be bonded to a good uh, earth ground now, for safety's sake, it's not a good idea to bond your uh, your stuff in inside the house to the the power safety ground. You want to have an external ground of some sort, be it a uh, uh, probably the best thing is is a wire, a heavy gauge wire going outside the house to um, to a ground rod as close as you can get it. Which is not an RF ground, but it's a good idea to uh, to be able to have something there to return to ground within the shack itself or the bench. Uh, in order to establish a good ground plane, the best practice is to have a large sheet of metal. Uh, large being something like uh, three by six or three by eight feet to establish a ground plane, some sort of uh, standard potential that everything is connected to, and have this bonded several places to the bar that runs along the back of your uh, your workbench. Uh, this can be as simple as uh, if you have it some copper screening under a rug. Um, also good is a, uh, a crisscross mesh of uh, 
copper strap, you can use copper flashing if it's uh, connected together well. That will help establish a good, uh, good ground for uh, uh, establishing a, a uh, common ground connection within the shack. Quite often, if you don't have something like this, and, and I notice it all the time in my nasty RF environment, as I touch various pieces of equipment that I don't have properly bonded, grounded, I get uh, random noise. I happen to have an exceedingly bad uh, RF environment, a lot of broadcast energy here. So uh, I don't have as good a connection as I should, uh, and I'm slowly improving it, but I do have a couple square feet of an aluminum sheet that I have everything connected to. And uh, that's bonded with a very short strap, a copper strap, to the bar that runs in the back of my bench. And it helps significantly in establishing a, uh, uh, a ground plane, a counterpoise within the shack. Same thing works for your ham station. Um, you want to have some means of interconnecting all of your ham gear in the shack with uh, ideally some sort of copper strap to a, a stiff bar on the back of the, uh, of the bench. And then if you're at ground level, uh, a ground to an outside uh, ground connection is ideal. If you're on the second floor uh, of a building, as I happen to be, you, you need to have some sort of uh, good ground plane within the room. Um, a a uh, ground of lesser quality, good for one frequency, if you happen to have a problem with a certain band, seven a quarter-wave uh, counterpoise connected to the ground to try to establish uh, a low impedance connection for any stray, stray RF. But sure. uh, that's a little clumsy in the house and it, it tends to only work on one frequency. So uh, it's it's not optimum. I mean, JI, um, as George referred to on his site, has a number of excellent uh, drawings and sketches to uh, give you some guidance along this way. And I'm sure there are other, uh, other sites that do as well. Um, Here's somebody, uh, yeah. somebody coming in there. I don't know if there's a, a uh, uh, George trying to hit me. All right, back to you, George. I was going to turn it to you, over to you anyway. Good enough, Joe. That's good. I was just trying to use this as a little blinking light to uh, uh, to, to catch your attention. And Bill W7WMB again. I think it's your uh, your Vox is kicking in, so you didn't solve that problem from last week. Hi, hi, as we say. Um, Joe, that, that's really good. And I wanted to just kind of stop you at that point and ask you some questions. And I wanted to kind of talk about those three basics. And I summarized those basics there that you that you covered. Grounding bar for the bench, grounding rod close by outside, and then a large sheet or mesh that's under under foot, under rug there to establish the RF ground right there in the shack. Let, let, let me take one of those at a time. You know my shack. I'm slightly below, <laughs> I'm usually below water. Um, I'm slightly below ground level in my basement. <clears throat> I'm thinking that I would um, benefit by getting a ground out to the uh, to a rod just outside on the other side of my wall here by taking a copper pipe, say a three-quarter inch or maybe even just a quarter inch or maybe half inch copper pipe it's only going to be a six foot length that goes up and then it goes at a right angle through the wall or through the foundation 
and then out and I would bond that to a grounding rod that I would pound into the ground out there just outside the flower bed. And then of course if I ground, if, if, I, if I bond that, if I connect that to my station ground here on the bench, and I'll talk about that in a minute, that would suffice. So the question is, would a copper pipe, um, half inch copper, going up and over and to a grounding rod just outside on the other side of my foundation wall, would that do the trick? Yeah, I think that would be a good way to do it. Uh, I've known other guys who did uh, similar things when they had their house built. They actually had the ground rods and some uh, strap uh, built under the uh, under the poured foundation of their basement and then uh, had that brought up to some straps through the floor. But uh, yeah, what you're talking about is a good uh, good way to get a, uh, a short ground connection from within the shack then to uh, help get you uh, well grounded. Now things that give me a little bit of concern about that would be that it's like maybe a six foot rise to the level it needs to get out over the foundation and out to the outside. And then at least another six foot to get far enough away from the foundation where I would uh, use a grounded rod into the ground. So that's the 12 foot um, of exposed wire that is actually above my operating position. Is that not going to radiate or and or would my, uh, my various tuners or, or be able to handle that? Well, you should, if your antenna is designed properly, that should never be an issue because you won't, uh, you won't get off into the shack where it would be a problem. That, that is a little on the long side. You, you might be able to do something, uh, um, well, don't know, we'd have to look at it, but uh, I, I can't imagine you'd have to go six feet from the foundation to drive your ground right in. Why not have the ground rod directly, um, directly on the other side of the foundation from the rod going through the wall? Well, that's a good question, but I had thought that the ground, now my home is about 12 years old, um, but when it was built, of course, as most homes are, the, the earth is excavated, the foundation is put in, and then, you know, like from, oh, maybe at least three to four foot out from the foundation, um, it's, it's, it had been all cleared away and then dirt is put back in. So I'm, I was thinking that the dirt close to the foundation would not be as good a ground as it would be farther away. Now that's probably true, but is it true enough that I should worry about it? I wouldn't worry about that. Uh, dirt is dirt. It's going to be moist and it's, uh, it's going to have a connection. You're not relying so much on an RF connection here. It's, uh, it's more establishing a, a, uh, a solid ground. Um, um, something you want to pay attention to is having a little more mass of, of copper or conductor within the shack as well for RF-type uh, worries. All righty. Um, does anybody have any comments on this, this part of the discussion? Any particular experience along the lines of what we're talking about? Question? Yeah, Rick, go ahead. Uh, in uh, in the countryside, lots of people out here use uh, Dish Network, and I was looking at my system the other day, and I noticed that as part of their installation, they go ahead and drive uh, a ground rod in, and uh, go ahead and connect all our various cable uh, connection points uh, to that. Uh, is it possible to piggyback on that and just use that as your ground rod? 
Uh, Joe. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Actually, uh, uh, I wouldn't necessarily piggyback on that. I would, I would have an additional ground. If you read the W8JI stuff, what he has, um, what he recommends is a, a good ground where there's a penetration um, into the house where the cables come in, uh, and then to have an external um, uh, conductor, a good conductor around the house to other grounds, uh, including outside the house, a connection to the, uh, the power entrance ground. Power entrance ground is really pretty crummy, but you do want to have it bonded with a low low impedance connection outside to uh, to your radio shack grounding. Uh, not doing that, I can speak from not my experience, but from having seen somebody who had a very good ground system in a tower, and he didn't bond the uh, the power ground to his his uh, uh, power the power entrance ground to his uh, radio antenna ground. What that meant was when lightning hit the power uh, line, he came through all the wiring in his house, wiped out his hand gear and the uh, appliances in the house. So to get the benefit of all of the uh, all of the ground, you, you'd like to bond as many things as you can and indeed bond them also externally to the power entrance ground. Alrighty, I take it uh, that that satisfied Rick. Um, Tony, up there in Brooklyn, WW2W, you had a question there that you listed in the text thing. Um, should we have an earth ground separated with a chassis, a chassis ground, uh, connecting them with caps here and there? Um, I, I think I know what the answer is going to be, but can you elaborate on that? What, what was your question? Uh, maybe he's not listening at the moment. Okay, we'll come back to that uh, in a bit. So the, let's talk for a minute again about your point number two, Joe, which was the grounding rod, I'm sorry, the grounding bar on the bench. Now, I had previously, in fact, I even said in the notes uh, something about a grounding braid. I had always heard that braid, good wide braid, was uh, you know copper braid was a good thing to do, but and some of the references that we that we uh, put on the website have said that that's an old wives' tale. In fact, that specifically is what uh, N8SA says, and it should be a copper, a flat copper um, slat, sort of as you described. Is that something? Where can you get that kind of a uh, a bar, Joe? <laughs> well, I have a corner bar just down the street. No, seriously. Uh... Things like that you can get at uh, electrical supply houses. You'll pay through the nose for them. Um, I believe it's, um, uh, the name escapes me, but uh, RF Connection and Waterman um, uh, also sell the mail order, uh, which is a good place to get them. And uh, you can, uh, if you ever go to uh, Dayton or any of the big conventions, there are folks who sell that sort of stuff. I don't think, don't think uh, a good good bar is something you might find at a hardware mega store, but generally an electrical supply has to be the uh, the, the best place in town uh, to look for it. All right, there's uh, 
there's always good value on a good bar, um, as, as Bruce pointed out, and you too. Um, Ray had given us a link, something um, that isn't working, so at least on my side I couldn't pull it up. But I would imagine um, we should probably put some references on here for the, like the Wireman and uh, Belden, some other references that uh, supply different kinds of copper because not only of course do we have the bar and the rod um, to we need to interconnect the uh, the radio um, the, the rig uh, the pieces of equipment that we've got on the bench to that bar now the rule of thumb of course is definitely the shorter the better so if you look at the, the web page that we've got um, at the very bottom is a as a sketch of a typical bench Again, I pulled that from uh, the W8JI uh, page, or at least one of his pages, and it, it was a nice sketch of, uh, of uh, the basics of grounding for the bench. And he indicates the short connections from the rigs and especially the ATU, the antenna tuning unit, to, to the ground bar. So what, what gauge wire would you recommend there, Joe, and, and where do you get that kind of wire? as big as you can afford um something like that um probably uh, uh eight gauge is about the smallest you want to go although if you have something flexible you can get you can get the, i believe it's six gauge flex wire uh in couple foot lengths from uh, the hardware mega stores and that's not too bad um you need it flexible when you're connecting to a ring because you're going to move it around a little bit you don't want to you don't want to uh, break anything uh, if you do move the equipment. Um, I've done exactly that. Um, you can also use small gauge welding cable, although that's a little stiffer. I think probably um, uh, the most practical thing is something like a, a four or six gauge uh, stranded wire for those short connections. Alrighty, and I would suspect that Appropriate connectors can be found at the electrical store too for connecting. It'd be like a split. What would you call it? A split uh, ring connector for connecting the uh, the cable to the cable. to the bar, and uh, then connecting the bar uh, the a thick cable like that to uh, to let me just be kind of funny. An ATS3B, a little QRP rig, is going to be kind of interesting, don't you think? Well, then use a short connector to it. Don't use split ring uh, lugs. You want to use uh, split uh, lugs. You want to use um, round lugs. You want to use ring lugs. Because uh, if you use the, the spade lug uh, and it falls off, you'll never know it. Okay, that's good to know. Yeah, so probably... Uh probably have a, have a smaller wire bonded to the larger you know, number six wire and the smaller one would be have the have the uh, the ring lug on it going to the uh, to the smaller rigs yeah something like that with with bigger rigs uh, you can use a, a you get away with a large lug the small ones uh, yeah you'd have to do something special like that Okay, now my practice in the past, although I never used something as large as uh, 
a half inch slat of copper bar, probably what it's on the order of a quarter of inch uh, thick, half inch wide, and whatever length that you can get. For my bench, you know my bench here, I probably need to get uh, five or six lengths to cover uh, both the boat anchor side and and the uh, um, and the SDR side. But I would get those all connected together, I'd bolt those things together, have all of the pieces of equipment go down, connected down to it. And then from there, I would have the large number four, or let's see, as, as Chesney uh, suggested, uh, a single aught, which has got to be huge, um, a single aught wire that goes from there to the... Uh, to the copper pipe going out my wall. Actually, if I had a if I had a single odd wire, man, that that would probably be all I'd need. I wouldn't need any copper pipe. Indeed, um, I just had another thought. Um, instead of having a uh, copper bar on the back of your bench, you could flatten the half inch copper tubing and use that. Oh, for the bar along the back of the uh, of bench. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, I think um, I've read in the literature, and by the way, there's another reference that we have on the on the web page there. Um, it's from the DX uh, uh, DX something or other, but it's got a whole bibliography of topics concerning grounding, and then the first ten, the top ten, are look absolutely superb. So if you get a chance, kind of go through those links and and peruse. And then there was another link there um, that I separated. I'm not looking at the page at the moment, but um, the fellow wrote a series of like six articles for QEX some years ago. He got permission to post the PDFs there. Now it turns out to be, it's, it's grounding for his antenna, but it's grounding in general, and we'll get to the antennas. But I just wanted to point out that we've kind of collected some good references for people to look at when it comes time to be considering this topic uh, there for your specific location. The point I was going to make, Joe, was that um, I had read that its surface area, more than the thickness necessarily, um, of the bar, for example, that's really going to be helpful and useful in, in the purpose of grounding. Indeed, that's true, yeah. Because the skin effect, the uh, current only flows on the, uh, uh, on the outer surface and, and really... The main thing that thickness does is it gives you some meat to uh, to uh, screw stuff into. I believe a flattened copper pipe would be obviously something over half an inch wide and probably thick enough to um, take some some decent self-tapping metal screws for uh, connections. Yeah, you could probably lay out a pipe along a, a cement sidewalk or something, get a big old sledgehammer, beat the uh, beat the heck out of that out of that thing to flatten it out. And then if you know, this is kind of cool. I, I've given some thought to this. If you know the spacing of the equipment that you have, or even if you don't, say every foot, you could um, not weld, but uh, solder, you know, like with a butane torch, you could solder that uh, ground braid or number four wire, whatever you're going to be using. Um, and then you end up with a bar that has a whole bunch of tentacles off of it. And you put that behind your bench you can, and that leaves you with maybe even some extra ones at the end of the day that you can use for future equipment. But the point is, is that you've got it soldered, and it's a good connection, not necessarily prone to coming loose, as long as you do a good soldering job. 
Yeah, that probably sounds like a good idea. For uh, connections there, yes, that is appropriate. When you're going to the outside uh, for safety grounds, um, simple soldering uh, probably is not adequate. But for in the shack, yeah, that, that's a great idea. Let's talk about connecting the the, the uh, single lot or number four cable, um, or even the um, the copper pipe to the ground rod, Joe. When we connect these two things, I'm I'm things that go through my mind that keep me awake at night are dissimilar metals. What do I coat the stuff with, even if they are dissimilar, such that they can be buried or exposed to the elements and not have to worry about the connection degrading over time? What's a what's some good stuff to use, and where do you get it? Okay, well, <laughs> going going back to uh, to our aerospace days, uh, we installed a number of comm systems, and um, what we did was. We used what the industry standard is, something called CAD weld, which is a compound that you burn in there. And it, it uh, generates uh, uh, copper, which will connect copper or brass together. Um, for ham type stuff, um, HAI recommends a good grade of uh, silver solder, uh, which is obtainable from, uh, I believe, from the hardware mega stores or, or mail order. It takes a uh, takes a little more heat than ordinary copper, but you actually want that because you want a good uh, good connection. That if you should happen to get any uh, nasty uh, stray currents through there, it's not going to melt the connection. So you should have both a good physical connection, in other words, have the stuff well wrapped around there, and then a good electrical connection. And probably for uh, the common ham use. Uh, Silver solder is the good thing, and it occurs to me now what you use to, to uh, or I have used with a Burnsmatic uh, torch is you use MAP gas, that's MAPP, which has a much higher uh, temperature than the ordinary uh, propane cylinders, and it works quite well with uh, silver solder on big conductors outside. Believe me, I've done it. I just wrote that down. Nap, nap gas instead of uh, butane. Is that something that? Oh, okay. Map. Um, is that something you can get uh, like at Home Depot or something? Affirmative. Interesting. Man, I'm going to figure out a way to blow this house up yet. Um, I'll have to give that a try. Definitely. Okay. And and you had said, uh, you had said. Uh, what was the name of the of the of the goop that you used to cover the connection? Uh, can you spell that phonetically for me? No, I didn't mention any goop um, to cover the connection. If you solder with map gas, that's all you need. If you solder with silver solder, you needn't coat it with anything. Okay, maybe it was Cadwell you were talking about. That sounds familiar. Dave put that in here. Alrighty. Um, so we've got the uh, we've got the brass we've got the the bus bar in the back, <clears throat> actually the the grounding bar in the, the back of the station uh, table. We got the thick cable going out to a ground rod somewhere somehow. Yeah, I don't want to go through my wall horizontally. I thought of that actually, pounding the you know, drilling a hole and pounding the the heck out of a 
of a pipe going horizontal out of my foundation, but I figured it would leak, and I didn't want to deal with that. So that's that's why I'd rather go up and over top the foundation. And then we talked about the ground rod itself. Let's talk for a minute about the... Um, well, I'm intrigued by the... Um, the the mesh that we talked about that would go underneath the rug or underneath your feet to help establish a ground RF potential is that is that the purpose there and of course you connect that to the the grounding bar on this on the table now if I push the right button the idea is to establish a good uh, RF ground um, screen a good RF ground potential something for uh, RF within the shack to flow too, so that it, in effect it's, it's it's like its own little uh, self-contained ground system. This is more of an issue if you're uh, far away from ground, if you don't have a good nearby ground connection, so that you can uh, you can establish some ground. Uh, might might be appropriate in your case, or for someone like like me who's on on the second floor. One of the practices we used in industry. When, um, when I was doing RF type work was we would have a whole bench that, uh, you know, as it was 10, 12 feet long and three feet wide, covered with copper. And uh, that was our, our ground plane that we worked on when we had all the uh, uh, test equipment and everything else. Everything was bonded to that so that we had a good solid RF potential. A, uh, a lesser matter is the one uh, I, I mentioned that the WHAI shows in one of those diagrams to give you a, uh, a good ground, uh, kind of a, uh, a localized ground thing for uh, stray uh, RF uh, stuff to flow to through, through your uh, bonding and your interconnections. Really interesting. Now, I, I remember back in my Kodak days in the, uh, my early days of a technician back there is... Um, um, the copper copper covered bench was was particularly intriguing to me. Didn't have an idea necessarily of the va uh, the value or benefit back then. However, something Dave Porter just mentioned in a text here about using 12 inch copper flashing seems to me that one would not be too it wouldn't cost too much to lay down uh, for a typical you know what six foot by eight foot bench. Um, what is it? Probably three foot by eight foot bench table uh, to that surface to cover that surface with a couple three strips of 12 inch copper flashing. If you can solder it evenly enough, um, of course, it provides a little bit of a bump at the solder point. Uh, maybe cover it with a uh, piece of plexiglass such that uh, the copper is there to shield, and then you've got your plexiglass as a smooth surface for the bench that is nice to have. How, how would that work out for us? I think that would kind of work. Yeah, I, I mentioned in having a ground screen to use some sort of mesh or, uh, or uh, copper strips. Um, indeed, I bought some uh, 25 feet of 12-inch wide... Uh, I think it's 12 inch. I have it sitting right here on the floor. Uh, no, it's about 6 inch. I bought a 25 foot roll of uh, 6 inch copper flashing at uh, Home Depot about two years ago, and it was $35. 
What I would recommend instead of putting it on the top of the workbench would be to put it on the undersurface of the workbench. One of the issues, one of the uh, OSHA safety problems we had having a conductive uh, uh, desktop was that we could uh, we would be laying on ground, we'd be touching ground, and it would be a shock hazard um, if we directly touched that uh, that uh, <laughs> that copper, and we could be electrocuted. But if you put it underneath the surface of the bench um, and bonded it together, and then brought the connections up uh, over the back edge, um, that'd be a way around that issue. Excellent. And come to think of it, I mean, it's only another couple of, uh, another half, three quarters of an inch. I'm looking here at my bench. If I were to kind of scoot underneath the table and staple uh, 12 inch sheets, uh, 12 inch lengths of copper flashing and then solder them along the seams, um, that would indeed provide a nice ground right underneath all of my uh, my bench equipment and and rigs here on the bench. Outstanding idea. And then you just, as you said, just couple that around to the to the grounding bar in the back. Some good ideas are coming out here, at least for me. Hey, uh, Bruce, N1RX. Oh, you just went uh, you just went mute. Okay, I was going to toss it over to you for a second. Oh, he says he's got to disconnect. Oh well. Bruce did a great job with us last week um, and uh, as, a, as a tri-host, and it was good to have him kind of contributing along here. Are there any questions kind of at this point here about grounding there at the station, the, the table, the grounding bar, the cable going out to the, to the rod close by? Any, uh, any questions? Does anybody ground like this? I'd like to. Yeah, I'm. I'm trying to fish here. Uh, I'm just trying to find out what kind of grounding techniques that anybody else uses. Um, I'm. I'm. I'm ashamed to say, but I'm not afraid to to speak out. I guess is that I don't use anything elaborate at all, and I should, for all of the operating and and that I indeed do. I could probably do a lot better job at it. But does anybody make an overt effort at grounding such as using some of the techniques that we're talking about here? Yeah, George, I try. I try and do the best I can for the amount of cost and, and stuff. I still disconnect my batteries during a light or disconnect my radios during a lightning storm, but I try and bond all the equipment chassis together. I try and provide a, a biggest amount of uh, cable that I could find going throughout the uh, shack. And then like you going up and over into a into uh, two ground rods that are bonded together, plus bonded to the house ground rod and the um, the uh, direct TV ground rod. So I try to do all that based on what I've read. One other comment, George, quickly. Yeah. Um, for uh, electrostatic discharge uh, protection, um, there have been recommendations to co cover your bench with copper. Um, so that you don't zap components, that's a bad idea. Um, what you need for ESD, the workbench, is a high resistance um, static dissipative uh, compound, uh, like one of the ground mats, that uh, allow discharges to occur if they do occur, but at low current. So what you could do would be for your workbench would be to have the 
copper ground plane underneath connected to some sort of ground rod to establish a uh, kind of an RF ground plane within the shack. And then on top of your work surface, you'd have one of these um, controlled conductivity uh, ESD mats and connect that to the, uh, to the copper ground plane underneath under your ground rod to, uh, to eliminate the possibility of electrostatic discharge uh, damage to your components. Good stuff, Joe. Good ideas. Bruce, you're back here for a minute. Why don't you toss in some two cents if you have any on the topic, maybe some of your own experience with grounding. Go ahead. Yeah, thanks, George, very much. Well, well glad I could, um, you know, drop in briefly. As I mentioned, I've got uh, uh, a customer i got to help here shortly, but I just thought I'd toss out. This is timely because I just came back into the shack when uh, um, Joe was mentioning about uh, electrostatic discharge and um, uh, anti-static uh, protection when working with equipment and he's absolutely right you know and this camp's enough you want to be very very careful about having an absolutely grounded surface um, on your workbench where you're working when you're uh, working with uh, static sensitive devices that is the last thing you want to have um, anti-static mats typically have very high resistances usually a megohm or more to ground and it's uh, to create a uh, a um, what I want to say, a uh, a a uh, similar potential across the area, the work area that you're working at. You don't want to be discharging um, uh, static charges quickly. Uh, you want to be dissipating charges slowly. So a uh, an anti-static mat, one of which I have here on my workbench, typically has a very high resistance, and then it's tied to ground through a relatively high resistor, one to ten megohms. You do not want to be working on a perfectly grounded sheet. That's actually quite dangerous. And I just wanted to toss out that, um, you know, when we're talking about grounding, there's really three or, as you mentioned at the very beginning, George, there's three or perhaps even four uh, uh, different goals here. There's um, safety grounding. That is a DC ground in case the uh, we're grounding the chassis of the equipment that we're working at. Uh, in case something comes loose within the uh, radio and it were to present perhaps a, uh, a dangerous voltage to the case, you don't want to get a shock from that, obviously. That's the typical use of the third ground on an AC power system. Um, lightning protection. Okay, bottom line, you get a direct lightning strike, nothing's going to protect you. What you're really trying to protect against is nearby lightning strikes that induce voltages. And when you look at the WAJI uh, a grounding website as I uh, as I posted the link last week you'll see some really uh, what seem to be outrageous protections I mean he has a couple of 300 foot towers so he's uh, he's subject to high induced voltages obviously from nearby lightning strikes but um, don't get discouraged by that you know do what you can with what you have to work with as Joe has mentioned the uh, the low impedance path to ground. If you got to go up over that basement wall in order to get outside, do it. Um, if you add a, a separate grounding system for your ham shack, it should be tied to the uh, the home entrance ground. I believe that's perhaps National Electrical Code now that uh, that needs to be that way. But um, also, don't get too wrapped up in it. Uh, like you, George, I do more than my share of uh, whistling past the graveyard 
and uh, and don't properly ground or, or don't fret too much about grounding, particularly in like a portable operation. Hey, if I'm out camping with my ATS-3 and I'm throwing a, a doublet up in the tree, I'm not driving a ground rod every time I uh, pull into the campground. Um, but at home, it absolutely behooves you to have a good, well-established ground system. And there's been a lot of great reading materials pointed here on the uh, on the text session and uh, and what was posted last week. So, uh, you know, I would just I would just say, don't be discouraged. Read up on it a bit and do the best that you can. And uh, I guess that's it. With that, I got to run. George, Joe, uh, great being with you this evening. Unfortunately, can't stick around for the duration. So, uh, back to you, George. Outstanding information there, Bruce. Thanks an awful lot. And we certainly understand you needing a scoot. Your your job and the service nature of your, your work uh, pulls you just about at any time. Understood. Thanks for uh, the tips. And I think it's, it's probably good. Do what you can. Don't, don't obsess about it. Um, I joked a little bit about that, but it was only a joke because I, I really, uh, I really think about it when I'm thinking. Um, and, um, uh, but do something, do something, and it's safety. Yeah, and your your point. We're going to get to it maybe in a minute. Is as far as lightning is concerned. Um, every site that I've seen, every reference that I've seen, is, talks about if you get a direct hit by lightning, it's uh, there's nothing you can do to protect or prevent that from happening. It's just uh, they said as as uh, Chesney said, that's what you have insurance for. But it's the nearby strikes and the buildup of static and as the front is coming in. You'll note on the um, in the pictures on the website that there are a couple of techniques that he uses, or actually it's WAJI uses, for dissipating the build, static buildup um, from tower, from his antenna, uh, to prevent that um, the high voltages from static. And, and other types of charges building up from coming into the into the house. Uh, one is a, I don't, I'm not using the right words, but is the ball, um, the ball discharge balls that are placed close to each other. Um, another technique, Joe. I'm going to get your opinion or anybody else's opinion on this. From the very early days when I started, um, a spark gap, a ten, uh, what is it? The spark attenuate, a spark gap. Uh, uh, protection device um, was something that was highly recommended. You can still see them for sale, and you, as far as antenna leads are concerned, and antenna connectors and such. Is that something that we should all have on our antenna, on our coax leading out to the antenna in the backyard, Joe? Yeah, I do have some experience with them uh, professionally. With most of the ham gear uh, and the the uh, things we do, the ham gear is not going to take. Um, much in the way of uh, lightning zapping it through one of those arresters. Um, the name really escapes me. Polyphaser makes a number of them, and I've used polyphaser stuff. However, they were used with uh, either commercial gear or military gear that was rated to uh, take um, several hundred uh, volts of, of uh, energy on the input and not get zapped. The, uh, the polyphaser and the other stuff limits the uh, energy getting into about 90 volts or so, which is really, really enough to zap most hand gear. Uh, and I have more to say about uh, installations where you can take direct hits, but I'll save that for later.
All right. Anybody have comments on the uh, spark gap arrestor? And, and Joe, I must admit, uh, did you say that you do or do not recommend the spark gap arrestor? If you're using your um, uh, glow bug stuff, you can probably get away with it. But with the, the uh, common solid state rigs, you're going to fry something. So I take that as a yes. Okay. Um, and uh, as, as we see that there's there are several on the market or several types, spark gap or gas filled arrestor. Um, I had described earlier the ball gap arrestor, two metal spheres placed close to each other. Each uh, one is grounded, the other one is on the ungrounded where the static builds up. Um, but, the, but those are, are some techniques there. Um, other techniques, Joe, as far as being caught, and I'm still kind of like located here in the shack. We haven't moved out to the antenna yet. So when, an an, when, a, when a big old storm is coming by and we can you know hear the static crashes and uh, even without the radio, it seems, um, what ought we do? What, what's the best recommended practice that you know of? The best recommended practice is to disconnect the antenna from anything that connects to the house. It uh, might not be a bad thing to to uh, connect the coax uh, shield or whatever wire you have to a ground rod, but I would do that outside the house because uh, you don't want to bring any of the, the lightning energy inside the house. That, that is, uh, that's a killer, both the equipment and the people. Okay. Yeah, uh, Russ, go ahead. Yeah, good evening, gentlemen. Um, I wonder whether anyone over there has heard of a, such a device as a telephone line protector, a TLP. I'm not referring to those uh, little um, solid, well, I don't know whether they're solid state, but they're, they're solid anyway, things that you find in uh, modems and uh, um, uh, modern telephones. I'm talking about a thing that I came across about 50 odd years ago uh, when I was doing my apprenticeship in industry and I've still got a couple of these devices. They're not unlike a, a vacuum tube about six inches long, about one inch diameter with terminals at the, at the two, two ends which actually feed into, in one case, two prongs inside the, the glass envelope on one end and one single pointed prong on, uh, from the other end, uh, meeting in the center of the gas tube. Well, I'm saying gas, it could well be, I've forgotten now, it could well be a vacuum in there. But anyway, there's probably about an eighth of an inch apart between these prongs. But um, surrounding the whole uh, glass enclosure um, was just a small band of um, a metal strip which was attached actually to the earthy end of one of these terminals. And on the, uh, on the inside of this little strip was a bit of um, radioactive um, stuff, probably the same sort of stuff that used to be on watches, which effectively obviously gave a little bit of ionization uh, to uh, to help assist any sparking that may occur. I wonder if anybody ever came across any of those things in the States, and I w just wonder how efficient they would be uh, to RF. Go ahead. Yeah, I can speak to that a bit. 
that's similar to the techniques that polyphaser and some of the other few folks use with their gas discharge techniques. Indeed, um, a little bit of a radioactive source inside there to ionize does help the uh, uh, lower the breakdown voltage of the tubes a bit, but it's still, uh, even when it ionizes, the peak voltage is still uh, in the area of 60, 70 volts at least, which uh, generally speaking is, is uh, not adequate for today's solid state equipment. You're going to fry something. What is effective for uh, um, lines, for signal lines, is um, there are some solid state devices some transient surge protectors, which are basically uh, uh, like Zener diode type things that uh, are rated to uh, keep the voltage down to uh, 20 or 25 volts or so, which, uh, which will protect the, uh, the equipment. And the other device you're trying to think of is an MOV, a metal outside varistor. MOVs are generally used on power lines. Um, they're rated, they have various voltage ratings, but generally, um, uh, the ones used for uh, 110 volts, 120 volts, uh, will break down at 150 volts or so and uh, keep higher higher surges from getting into there. That's fine for signal lines, but uh, for RF, it's a whole different matter. Yeah, so the, uh, the thing that I was then getting at, too, I was trying to lead the discussion to was, and, and then Dave, KD8FMX, just uh, kind of pointed it out, um, I, in the past, I'd always, I have a I have a coax switch on the uh, the main uh, hanging on the main coax coming in from the antenna from the outside, and then I switch to various rigs that uh, I wish to operate. Um, during the storms, I often just kind of flip that to ground, and um, that uh, that effectively grounds the, um, the thought is that that would ground the antenna, um, that would most importantly probably drain, uh, disconnect the antenna from my rigs of course, but also drain off any of the, the natural static buildup as fronts move in and across. But the other side of my brain sort of says, well gee whiz, here's a nice big old ground rod that I've got now sticking up in my backyard and, and what's more attractive to a lightning strike or you know even more accumulated charges as the front moves in is a big old ground rod sticking 30 feet up in the air joe what what's the uh which side of that equation is uh is wrong well you got a couple things going there george um first of all the the static charge buildup just uh stray charges from uh, precipitation static or from wind um can indeed induce a charge on conductors that are elevated above ground. In your particular case, you have a butternut vertical, and that has a matching inductor from the, uh, the vertical element to ground, which will, which will get rid of the uh, static buildup. Um, in, in the case of a nearby lightning strike inducing voltage in there, it's not going to get rid of that because that would have a fast wave front, and this inductor would look like an inductor so that uh, spikes could get through um, and could potentially go up the coax into your house. Um, a coax switch inside the house is not going to do you much good. If you should get some high voltage on the coax, um, it's still going to be inside the house. The best thing to do is to disconnect the, uh, um, or, well, 
we're getting ahead of ourselves to have a good ground connection outside um, a, a panel of some sort outside connect the coax to and then to disconnect uh, your antenna uh, the coax uh, feed to your antenna from the coax going inside the house so that uh, you don't induce anything in there if you switch inside the house you're still letting it inside and you don't want that back when I started uh and uh, um, in my very early years, I was playing with CB antennas and or the, the CB radio and such. There, I said it. It's out on the table. I, I said it. But nonetheless, I, I was back then. And my dad told me, and my dad is was just an electrician. He was a good electrician in the in a submarine. But nonetheless, my dad said, unplug it and put it into a glass jar. So I think the disconnect message that you're giving here is is essentially the same thing you don't want the outside energy on the inside yeah that's right um i would uh, temper that one also uh ground the uh ground the coax outside the house to a, uh, a good ground to uh, to keep it from getting inside the house if you just put it in a glass jar it can still arc over to something if it's outside it's not so bad if it's inside it could be real bad Yeah, let's talk about that for a second. The um, the ground on the outside, we've, we've kind of really covered the inside of the house, at least for the time that we have allocated here. Let's kind of travel along the coax to on the way to the antenna. So heading out just outside the, uh, the, the perimeter of the house, of course, is where the coax exits and heads along, in my case, along snakes along the ground. But are you suggesting that I should have maybe a bulkhead connector and that bulkhead connector even before it or as it is entering into the house um, could be grounded and that would be a better condition? Indeed. Um, the, the whole thing inside the house was you wanted to establish some sort of good ground plane to keep the energy from getting into the house. It's a very good idea to have a, a bulkhead um, panel of some sort of metal panel. You look at the WJI stuff, he has a metal panel that all this cabling uh, going into the shack goes through. He has bulkhead connectors, um, and indeed he has switches inside a box, but that's beside the point. But the bulkhead, uh, the, uh, this, the panel that all of the uh, bulkhead connectors go to is a, a couple feet square thing. He uses copper, you could use aluminum, but then that is uh, bonded to a very good uh, ground connection outside the house. And that is the main path for any of the outside energy to stay outside and go to ground. Um, I'll, I'll discuss what, what I've seen. I worked on a, uh, we had a repeater system, ham repeater system in Lancaster. We had a 120-foot tower on top of an 800-foot mountain, and a 20-foot uh, uh, super station master antenna on top of it. It was a lightning rod. What we did was, on each of the three legs of the tower, we we had a ground rod to ground, uh, an 8-foot ground rod bonded with, uh, I think it was double-watt wire. We had three guy wires on the tower. At each of the, uh, where each of the ground wires came to ground, 
we had another eight foot rod and we bonded those those uh, ground leads or those uh, uh, guide wires to the ground rods. The feed line ran through a bulkhead in the side of a metal trailer we were using. It was a plate about a foot square. We had that. We had a uh, 450 megahertz uh, um, antenna for a repeater. We also had a 450 megahertz link antennas were on the side of the of the enclosure. But all of the feed lines terminated in this bulkhead connector where it came into the enclosure. And then uh, from this, this panel outside the enclosure, we had several, I'm trying to remember, I think we had three eight-foot ground wires bonded with double-lot wire, uh, ground rods bonded with double-lot wire to keep all of the energy outside of the enclosure. The only place where we had lightning getting in, the phone company came along when we installed an auto patch. They put one of their standard uh, network uh, connection boxes outside and just ran that stuff through a hole in the wall of the enclosure into our repeater rack. Guess what? When we got a lightning hit, came down the telephone lines through that flimsy uh, phone connection and into our repeater controller and fried things. But we never had a bit of trouble, even with direct lightning hits, of any of the energy getting in inside the enclosure and uh, causing us any problems. There's always a weak, a weak link in the system someplace. It's just a matter of putting that weak link out in an area that isn't as uh, maybe as dangerous or or exposed. Good, uh, good story. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm convincing myself to really map out what I'm going to do to be uh, to be fixing up my station here. There's some great, uh, great ideas as far as that that bulkhead is another thing that I've been really. Uh, really thinking of for some time. I, I can't really, I don't have an, a window to replace, um, but um, I can come up with something sort of similar to it. And then of course getting uh, getting some copper, a copper plate or maybe a thick aluminum plate would, would suffice then for the, um, for that bulkhead. Put some bulkhead connectors, some dual SO239s and I can put some, you know, chop the coax and put some PL259s on it. My favorite, my favorite activity, by the way. Um, and, and, uh, use that bulkhead as the interim. Would be really cool to have a, kind of a mass disconnect, a big old knife switch, you know, a Dr. Frankenstein kind of dual knife switch, which you would actually use in the case of having a balanced line coming in. But, uh, having something like that for coax would be kind of a really convenient thing. Uh, I see Terry put a comment on the in the text area here, saying he's always physically disconnected, uh, his coaxes, when he's not in the shack, um, and that's uh, that's a good thing to to do. It's before you before you leave and the shack for the day, to dis disconnect everything to be sure, because you never know what's going to come rolling along in the weather while you're gone. So there are coax cutoff switches, Joe? Yes, of sorts. Uh, VX Engineering has stuff that uh, W8JI mentioned, but they're ungodly expensive. Uh, they're remote control switches. A, a manual switch uh, 
could also be done. You could um, you could arrange something with uh, one of the BMW switches to uh, disconnect your cable run uh, and and do it manually. You could either uh, go outside to um, to flip the switch, or uh, you could run a shaft through your plate to um, switch it to yourself inside the inside the shack. Yep. And uh, I just put the link there for DX Engineering. That's reminded me that that's a really good source of. Uh, you and I have used the grounding, uh, the ground radial kits, and a grounding plate for the vertical antennas. From there, they have really nice stainless steel hardware that's used for connecting the radials to the plate. So I'm going to peruse that site when I get a chance to uh, to see about some of these items that we're talking about. Seems like if there's anything to invest in. Um, strengthening the operation of the shack that's that's uh, that's going to be from a performance standpoint Joe um, after one would do many of these different uh, techniques that we're talking about um, performance wise whether it's background noise level reduction in static crashes improved signal to noise ratio uh, can you comment on um, what kind of performance improvements would come about from putting in a gr good grounding system? Well, the uh, <laughs> I'm going to be honest. Uh, about the best thing it will do will be to minimize uh, some of the uh, pickup and interaction of stuff within the shack um, in terms of uh, junk spraying from one box to another by establishing a good ground. There will be some benefit to um, having static discharge or static bleed off uh, from having antennas that uh, have some sort of DC connection to ground via, uh, via an inductor such as your your um, um, such as your uh, vertical antenna do, or indeed uh, uh, almost any uh, antenna should have some direct DC connection to ground, um, you know, either in coax or uh, with uh, direct feeders with some resistance to bleed off uh, static pickup. And that will uh, that'll improve, uh, that'll lessen the noise. Um, as far as uh, uh, suppressing local electrical noise from other sources or uh, uh, atmospheric noise, it's not gonna do you much good. Alrighty. Hey Ross, you want to be careful. Unless you had, you're trying to signal us that your PTT is coming on. Did you have something that you wanted to say? Yes, I did, uh, George. It was actually to do with uh, uh, rain static. Um, I've uh, had a vertical just about ever since I've been first licensed, and uh, uh, with 14 AVQs and 18 uh, AVQs that I've used. I've always been plagued with rain static, more so with them than with any other antenna. And yet, uh, as Joe will know and yourself probably, um, these do have a DC return, a small coil in the bottom of the uh, bottom of the mount to ground. Ground, but that certainly doesn't get rid of any uh, rain static. And uh, just wondered whether um, he could think of any other reason why I should have had to have this uh, th this trouble with them over the years. Go ahead. I'm not sure what you mean by rain static. Yeah. Um, the the 14AVQ and the other verticals do not have any uh, DC connection to ground. 
I've been on the roof for years, nice lightning rod. They're a trap vertical, and as I recall, there is there is nothing to drain static off. Uh, the hot lead is above ground. The butternuts do indeed have a choke in there, and I think possibly some of the uh, MFJ uh, multiband um, air-cooled dummy loads do too, but I don't think the high gains did. Um, are you talking about uh, static buildup or uh, static electrical noise induced when there's a, uh, a storm in the area? Well, well, actually, I, I beg to differ with you, Joe, because uh, I've uh, dismantled 14 AVQ and in the um, uh, Cyclac uh, uh, sort of mounting, the boss at the bottom, uh, it's filled with a wax and uh, it, there's a small uh, coil in there uh, from earth to the um, to the uh, center pin of the um, of the UHF connector. So certainly I'm going back probably about 30 years now since I've probably first got a 14 AVQ and um, probably even longer. Uh, they did certainly have them then. <laughs> I've taken one to pieces. But the, the actual static I'm talking about, it's it's incredibly actually like um, it comes up on the receiver just as if it actually you it was an acoustic noise of the rain against the window you know you can sort of hear this sort of rising up and and gradually as the, as the rain drops cease you hear this sort of pitter patter it's it's uh, it's it's quite uh, it's quite an unusual sound actually because what's coming out of the loudspeaker to what intense in purposes, sounds like the acoustic noise of uh, rain actually on a window pane or, or on a sheet of paper outside, as it certainly builds up from scratch, and you get this hash noise. And as the the rainstorm finishes, you can hear the sort of pitter patter, pitter patter, just uh, gradually going off. So uh, definitely to do with the rain. And uh, as I said, there is a coil of the the work coils in those earlier um, AVQs. Go ahead. That's interesting. I got one second hand and it did not have that coil in there. The coil is a good idea to get rid of uh, static. And uh, no, I really don't. Uh, if if indeed uh, well, the thing is grounded as as uh, they've made provisions for, um, shouldn't be picked up directly on the antenna from precipitation static. Uh, um, don't know what to say. Could have been something else in the area uh, was having stuff induced on it and perhaps it uh, re-radiated and got into your antenna. Unfortunately, vertical antennas, much noise tends to be vertically or, uh, vertically polarized. And uh, if there were indeed something else in the area generating hash, uh, it very well could be induced in your uh, vertical antenna. I've not noticed the phenomenon, but, uh, and that's just me. Hey, Joe, what I wanted to do is uh, wrap up with a uh Wrap up with a, just a quick discussion. We touched on it last week, but um, artificial grounds. Now, people like you on the uh, who have a second floor operating position, um, and they're they're probably guys. I'm not sure if uh, if uh, oh he's not with us anymore. Tony Tony was on board with a W W2W. He's in Brooklyn, and I thought he was in a high rise. Uh, like a condo or something. Um, somebody who's operating up there, how do you get a ground when you're way up there? So uh, there's a couple of techniques, I think, and, and 
One is an artificial ground, which essentially is like uh, creating a counterpoise. Isn't that correct? Yeah, that, that works for some uh, situations. It's a single band thing. Um, uh, I, I have my doubts on a high rise. One thing I've done in a high rise hotel where I could open the windows was um, I found that the, uh, the aluminum windows were actually bonded to the uh, frame of the building. So uh, I surreptitiously drilled a hole in the, uh, in the window frame and used that for a ground. And I, I uh, with a clamp mount, I uh, stuck a hamstick out the window and uh, was amazed from the eighth floor how much DX I could work on 30 meters. <laughs> you just whipped out a, a drill and, and drilled a hole in your hotel window. And, uh, uh, that's amazing. Um, yeah, the the antenna is a. There's actually two parts, maybe even three parts to this to this equation. One is the antenna, you know, and having a a counterpoise that goes downward is almost acting like the bottom half of a dipole. If you have a long you know, a long wire hanging out at an angle, and you can put a, a wire out as a counterpoise. Uh, the ground itself um, for the for the station and whether it's a an artificial ground or some something that you lay out and utilize a, a radiator or something else that's in the room that that you might be able to connect to is another way to get the ground um, but uh, way up there it seems to me that you'd be able you'd, you'd have some difficulty um, if but if you were in a if it were your station you know, a condominium or um, an apartment that you was a permanent place for you to operate. Maybe what are some of the techniques that could be done in that case? Well, um, <laughs> if you're in a metal structure, uh, all bets are off trying to get a signal out of there on anything above, um, anything below about six meters, because the apertures for energy to get out are too small for, for HF to get out. Um, believe me, I. That was why I stuck the uh, stuck the hamstick outside the uh, uh, window. If you're in a wood frame structure, not a metal structure, indeed, um, some tricks like hooking up to the uh, to the uh, uh, frame of the building, if if there is such, uh, to the antenna. Uh, another thing is, a lot of them have uh, heating systems that have uh, a copper um, copper um, connection for the uh, um, uh, for circulating hot water to the heater system. You can sometimes hook up to them and get a ground. Um, I'm, I'm still kind of on the fence about the counterpoise because if you've got a, an antenna outside and a counterpoise inside, you're, you're still, you're still um, allowing the possibility of RF getting into your shack, but I don't want that. Yeah. Does anybody on, on board here have experience with the uh, artificial grounds or the counterpoises uh, um, or even a tuner? Some, some, there are some products around that put a tuner in the ground lead for, um, um, an antenna, for a rig's uh, uh, operation. Anybody have experience with those? I did no experience, but a comment. Yeah, that'll work too, Larry. Go ahead. Uh, I worked a ham in Florida from New Jersey, and uh, he was describing his antenna as a 40-foot horizontal uh, 
antenna at 200 feet. I thought I had a typo on the CW copy, but it turned out it was in a very high rise building at a, at a, uh, a floor level where he was 200 feet above the ground. And basically his antenna was a, a, a 40 foot horizontal whip that when not in use was uh, along the width of his uh, 40 foot wide patio. And what he did was it, when he operates, he just swings this 40 foot whip, must have very strong tubing to the horizontal position sticking out from the building. And uh, at which point, once I understood that, I asked him about the counterpoise. His counterpoise for this, this is on 40 meters. His counterpoise for this 40 foot horizontal whip at, four, at 200 feet uh, was a, uh, a loop, a wire loop uh, that circumnavigated his, his 10, foot, 10 foot deep, 40 foot wide patio uh, floor surface and that was connected as as the counter and he was coming in extremely strong as I recall I believe he was running barefoot at perhaps a uh, hundred watts that's an amazing story I thought you were going to say that he uh, he dropped a counterpoise down outside of the end outside of the uh, the tower in the the apartment complex which would have been sort of like an interesting combination or I'm not sure what antenna that would have been like but uh, good to hear that uh, he, he's operated that like that successfully okay um, gosh there's one I wanted to make one comment and it's just sort of relative re relevant to me especially I've experienced I, I've played an, around an awful lot with PSK 31 those of you who know me of course know why and when I've, whenever I've had a bad ground, I've had a bad day. And that is because, um, as it turns out, if you've got a lot of RF in the shack, it's going to mess up some of the digital electronics that you might not have too well shielded. Or even if you've got well shielded equipment, it still might be messing it up. And uh, it would really, it would turn the, uh, the PSK... 31 box that I have. It's the new PSK 31 NUE. Um, it would it would play havoc with that. It would turn the PTT on, PTT on. It would lock up. It would not operate. It would reboot repeatedly. I'd be using RF chokes. I'd be using all sorts of shielding, and uh, nothing would really do the job until I grounded properly. So, I think Ray commented earlier that if you don't have a good ground, you can be inducing hum and all sorts of artifacts in your audio signals be they digital or otherwise, and um, you would uh, um, be playing havoc with, with PSK-31 as well. So that's about it that I think uh, we have time for. I know that I'm, I'm running out of gas. I've got to do a little bit more work here this evening before I call it quits. So... Uh, Got to get to work on cutting down on the, uh, uh, or editing the audio files, get that uh, all posted. Are there any final comments, any questions or topics that uh, that we didn't really touch on as far as grounding is concerned that you had a question about that you wanted to ask tonight but didn't hear covered yet? Yeah, George, I had a silly question. I'm always open for that kind, Chris. Go ahead. You know, I've heard a couple of hams talk 
locally and, and abroad, through, you know, with the current aurora activity coming up, I've heard a lot of the hams saying, well, the corona mass injection is going to be hitting, so they're going to disconnect their antennas. I wouldn't think that would be really enough energy to cause an issue. I was wondering if anybody would want to care to comment on that. And my only comment is generally uh, the only folks who have problems are uh, those running uh, telephone systems or uh, long distance power lines. I think uh, the amount of uh, voltage induced on uh, anything, unless you're running uh, a couple mile antennas, would uh, be too small to worry about. All right, that's what I was I was thinking, and uh, so you just confirmed it. Thank you. But kind of along the lines, well, maybe I don't know. Coming coming back to some of the performance issues, if it uh, if what you're doing grounding um, has a benefit of reducing noise level in weak signal work such as we do with QRP and even more extreme um, very low signal propagation types of uh, activities ELF and um, or EL bouncing signals off of the uh, the moon and such um, this has got to be something that you really want to take a look at from a safety perspective and I, I'm, I'm talking to myself as well especially this is something they really want to do. You want to ground your station. You want to protect yourself. You want to protect your little urchins that kind of come into the room when you're not looking and, and touch one thing or another. You and I can probably handle an RF burn um, and tolerate it pretty well. And we just sort of curse at ourselves and say, oh, we're going to have to fix that sometime. But it's a different story when it's a little grandchild or, or uh, an animal. Cats so-so but you don't want to do that to your dog um so you want to kind of be uh be have safety be paramount bruce wrapped it up earlier pretty well when he says do what you can do do if you're not doing anything or anything special do a little something and it's going you're going to reap some benefits maybe not right away but maybe when you least expect it you're going to find some value in um in grounding your equipment, providing a good low impedance ground path to uh, to the ground stake outside, um, even if it's from a performance standpoint, <clears throat> uh, you're going to see some benefit. And uh, don't be obsessed with it. I don't. I certainly don't have to be worrying about that. But uh, nonetheless, if you happen to worry about things, don't let that be in the way of getting on the air and, and operating. Disconnect your antenna. The other lessons learned here this evening, disconnect your antenna during impending and current lightning storms. Um, in fact, do as Terry suggested and uh, disconnect your antenna. I used to do this and I, I no longer do it, but I'm going to try to make a point of it. When you make sure, when you leave the shack at night, <clears throat> head up to head up for the, uh, the nightcap before bed or whatever, um, just, and you turn off the power, you make sure your soldering iron is off, you make sure your scope is off, the computers are off and not just asleep. Unplug the antennas from your rigs. You're going to save yourself some grief, especially, as Joe said, with some of the uh, um, 
solid state electronics that we've got these days. It doesn't take much to, to zap the, the front end. And accumulated static can come along at the strangest of times, the most unexpected of times on your antenna. Um, so definitely disconnect your antennas or minimally ground it, but disconnect it and make sure that no RF energy, no, no lightning energy comes into the house and, and not into your, uh, not into your gear as well. The basics are simple. They're easy to do. Put a grounding bar on your, on your station, connect all the equipment to it, connect that to the outside, uh, to some place that's going to the outside water pipe, cold water pipe, um, or, you know, directly up and over the foundation as I've been describing or, or down the outside of a wall or whatever works for you. Alrighty. One final, one final, uh, request for any final comments before we wrap it up here for tonight. Yeah. Rick, Rick, go ahead. Rick, go ahead. Okay, this is totally off topic, but I am in the market for uh, a DSP Elmer, somebody who's ideally in the education community, but uh, anybody who's just knowledgeable about DSP topics uh, in general, somebody I could uh, email with questions and uh, maybe uh, uh, chat back and forth uh, either on the air or using uh, TeamSpeak. Well, I'd certainly be able to get uh, started with you to a certain point. Depends on what kind of a platform that you'd like to be operating on and what you want to be doing. But uh, let's, uh, when we close down here, let's set up uh, some type of arrangement, uh, a sked, as it were. I don't have a lot of time, but certainly willing to, to kind of share the wealth if I have any of that uh, to share. Okay, uh, Joe, did you have something else? Yeah, I hate to contradict you, George, but... Um... Using a cold water pipe um, instead of an outside ground for any kind of uh, protection is a bad idea because that brings energy into the house. You want to use an outside uh, outside ground rod, um, not the uh, not the water pipe inside the house. Rightly so. Good point. Thank you very much. Another another old wives' tale. Okay. Thank you, one and all. Um, Joe, did you want to have any wrap-up besides what I already did? No, I think you pretty well covered it. I, I think we uh, we hit the inside grounding pretty well. We touched on uh, entry into uh, into the uh, house, and uh, this gave some uh, hints for uh, lightning protection. I think those who are really interested would do well to go to not only the WHAI site, but also the, uh, the Motorola uh, link that uh, Frank T3PUU put up. That is a, uh, as he said last week, that's an encyclopedia on uh, uh, installing communication systems. A lot of the techniques in there are things I've done uh, for them for military installations. Um, so there's a lot of good reference material that uh, you can look into from uh, what George has uh, put on the website. Um, Please uh, read it. Please take heed. And uh, I uh, speak for the other guys. Uh, certainly, if you have any questions, you can contact me by email. I'd be glad to discuss things further. 
Yeah, that's definitely the case. And then if you've got questions after pondering tonight or uh, listening to the audio, not sure why you'd want to do that again. You already heard it once, but if somebody has any questions, feel free to contact Joe or me and uh, um, we can get you plugged into some resources or, or get some answers to your questions. Okay, next week's topic. Um, Joe and I haven't talked about this too much, at least on purpose. Um, we're looking to, we, we like to kind of change the, the topics around from one thing to another, as opposed to maybe having a long, drawn-out uh, um, series, unless it's warranted. But next week, um, subject to change, but uh, battery chargers and power sources that are rechargeable um, uh, is kind of an interest of mine. And I've wanted to get some questions answered, do a little bit of research, get some simple circuits out there, and I have a great application or two that I want to be working on from a design perspective for uh, for that. So with, uh, you know, we'll, we'll talk about it some more, but if you've got another idea like that or something that you've wanted to talk about, be sure that you get it to Joe and me. Email is fine. Um, and let us know what's on your mind. Let us know what you think about this session as usual. What do you like? What do you not like? What would you like to see more of? What would you like to see less of? And uh, we'll, we'll try to accommodate. Really appreciate everybody's attention here. We had a good showing tonight. Thank you very much, everyone. And uh, look forward to talking next week at the design uh, chat with the designer session here on TeamSpeak. We'll reconvene next Tuesday at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. That's EST. And uh, that's 0100 Zulu on this particular channel. So 73 all, we'll uh, have a good week.